Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. We're again wrapping up our Christmas series, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And in case you happened to miss the last few Sundays, you shouldn't have missed though, there was some really, really good stuff. The main character of the Dr. Seuss classic written in 1957 is a bitter cave-dwelling creature named the Grinch. He lives on cold and snowy Mount Crumpet. And this Mount Crumpet overlooks Whoville, where the fun-loving and warm-hearted Whos live. And from his cave, the Grinch one day heard these joyous Christmas preparations taking, uh, taking place. There was energy in the air. There was excitement and, and happiness below in, in Whoville. And as he, he, he heard all of the joy and the excitement, he was immediately irritated. And he came up with an evil plan to destroy Christmas. So he would dress as Santa Claus and his uh, loyal companion, his only friend, his unloved uh, dog Max. He put a, 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 a little... Uh, a horn on the top of his head, and, and he dressed up as Santa Claus, and, and Max was supposed to be Rudolph or whatever, whatever the deal was, and, and both of them got into the sleigh. Well, one pulled the sleigh, and uh, they went down the hill to steal all the Christmas presents from those in Whoville. So after spending the whole night coming down chimneys and uh, uh, going back up the chimney with the Christmas trees, the presents, and all the, the, the Christmas food, a very, very full night, he finally returns to Mount Crumpet, and he goes to a cliff, and uh, his, his sleigh is heavy, big, and full, and he's about to dump all of the presents, the toys, and the gifts, and, and the food, and the trees off the side of the cliff. And as the sun rises, because it took all night for him to do this, you know, he's, he's, he's excited because, you know, uh, the, 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 those in Hoosville are finally going to suffer. And uh, he expected pandemonium. He expected to hear children crying. He expected to hear things breaking. He expected to hear panic down uh, in, in the valley. But instead, all of the people in Huvu, Hu, Whoville were unmoved. And instead, they were singing beautiful and joyous Christmas songs. And the Grinch, bewildered, by the response of those in Whoville, it finally dawned on him, and this is what he said. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Early on in the story, it says that he had a heart two times too small. But as soon as he repented, Dr. Seuss said his heart became three sizes too large. And he immediately turned, returned all the gifts back to those in, in Whovilles, all the goodies, all the trees. And for the first time in his life, he joined in for Christmas. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1, we're going to talk today about being a who. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. A little bit of history here. 
Jesus was born during the reign of one of the most remarkable and extraordinary men in ancient history. Caesar Octavius was born, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Caesar Augustus was born uh, Gaius Octavius. Uh, but the deal was his grandmother just kind of happened to be the sister of Julius Caesar. And Gaius happened to be a, a sickly child. He wasn't physically strong and fit as a boy, but he was a, a child with exceptional talents. And eventually, because of these many talents that this young man had, he came to the attention of his great uncle, Julius Caesar, who eventually adopted him as his own son and later would actually become his heir. The Bible says, a decree went out from all or so that all the what world, the world Jesus was born into, the, the Mediterranean basis had been ravaged by war, civil war, for over a hundred years. The, the, the vast wealth of, of the Mediterranean had been lost. Trade declined, uh, interest rates soared, property values declined, taxes rose to pay for the walls and to, to help the, the government recover. So it was, it was a really tough time for anyone in the Roman government. It says, at that time, all the world should be what? Registered. So Caesar, Augustus, building upon the accomplishments of his uncle, Augustus, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Julius, he single-handedly, really, some people thought this was actually a miracle, he, he changed the, the ancient world. I mean, the Roman Empire without Augustus would have never become what it became. But his achievements very, very quickly went to his head. And he changed his name from Octavius to Augustus. Augustus means exalted one. And it was a name reserved for Roman deities. Abraham Lincoln said, they said, nearly all men can handle adversity. But if you want to test a man's character, give him power. And, and at this point, there's this extreme test going on in the life of Augustus. Verse 2. This census, now again, when you're talking about myths and the rest, they don't give these types of details, names and places, things that could be confirmed. But this census, uh, census first took place while Curianus was governor of Syria. Now, Censuses in these days were not just about record-keeping. Uh, it was really about taxation. It was a way to tax people more efficiently. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own town. Now, what was amazing about what has happened here or what was happening here is how one man seated in Rome gave one command and people from nearly two million square miles around obeyed. Unbeknownst to Augustus, God was using this emperor to fulfill prophecy recorded over 700 years ago in the Hebrew scriptures by a little known prophet named Micah. Let's go there. Micah 5 and 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, the Holy Spirit not only said that the Messiah was coming, he predicted exactly where he'd be born. Though you are little amongst the thousands of Judah, 
God ordained, actually, that Jesus would come from a small town. You know, you would think if the king of world, the world was coming in, he'd be from a big city and he'd get the best education. I mean, he'd be where all the scholars were at, etc. No, no, no. God ordained that he came from a small town. Why? Because God often chooses the last, the least, and the lowest to confound the wise. He's just that type of God. He said, out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel. This may surprise you, but Jesus did not come just to give us another religion to choose from. He came to restore God's rulership in the lives of men and women. And then it says something that many of the other prophets state as well that we wouldn't fully understand until Jesus actually came. It said this, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Last I check, only God is from everlasting to everlasting. Now, I might have everlasting life, but I started at some point. Only God is eternal. And what the scripture is stating is that Jesus would be more, or the Messiah would be more than a man. So on Christmas, we celebrate the person of a, uh, the, the, the birth of a person who existed in heaven long before he was born on the earth. Back to Luke 2 and 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth. So he starts from Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. He's leaving Nazareth, going to Bethlehem because he was of the house, the lineage of David. Actually, Mary and Jesus, I'm sorry, and Joseph were both of the uh, line of David. They were, uh, you know, tribes kind of hung together, and they married within their tribe, if you will. And, and this was about an 80-mile journey. How many know that's a long journey by foot? I mean, even if you're dry, moving on a donkey, donkeys don't go but so fast. You understand what I'm saying? It was a long and intense journey. And they went there to be registered, or he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed what? Wife, who was with what? Child. Now, the law did not require that Mary travel with Joseph. So it appears that God decided that he would use the most powerful man in the world at that time to protect a little peasant girl. From what? The emotional distress, the gossip of that little town that wouldn't quite understand her condition. You see, every detail, no matter how big or small, God cares. Let's skip just a little bit. Let's go to Matthew 2 and 13. You know, keep digging in. Now, when the Magi, wise men from the east, had departed, bearing gold, frankincense, and myrrh, we all know the narrative. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This was God's choice way to speak to Joseph. And God tends to have special ways that he speaks to each of us. I tend to dream all night. I'm just a guy that has dreams. So dreams for me are not a big deal. But typically, if my wife has a dream, typically it means something. Now, when it came to Mary, angels talked to Mary. 
But when it came time for God to speak to Joseph, God always appeared to him in a dream. God speaks to us in sundry and diverse ways. So, you know, some people just sitting under the word of God while I'm preaching, you're trying to listen to me, but God takes you on another path and he's talking to you under this anointing. And this is the type of setting he speaks to you in. Ephraim, as he plays the piano, God begins to speak to him and speak through him. That's just part of the way God used him. That's the way God used David. He was a psalmist. And as he, he strung the harps, he began to hear. And we all have our different ways that, that we hear and, and, and God speaks to us. So there's a dream that, that Joseph has. And God says, arise and take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt. You see, God uses the, the, the great Caesar Augustus to protect Mary while she was carrying Jesus. But then there was a shot actually of Herod he, he, he lets a lesser king. Now, I mean, here, here he uses the great king, but there's this minor king in this little province God allowed to put the family on the run. You see, the Bible never tells us to figure it out. Never. It just says, trust God. You see, God knows when we need to be cuddled, and he knows when we need to be courageous. If God is smart enough to create the earth we live on, he's smart enough to watch out for us while we live on it. So, again, God is doing some things behind the scenes and prophecy is being fulfilled. But suddenly we see that it looks like God's on the run and, 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 and he says, flee to Egypt and, and stay there. Joseph couldn't go back to Nazareth. He couldn't stay in Bethlehem, sometimes we can't go back to where we were, can't stay where we are. And the only option is starting off someplace new. And it's not that God wants us to give up, but sometimes the best strategy is to start over. He said, stay there until I bring you word. You see, ultimately the real protection was not the geography. It wasn't even the Roman Empire as much as their obedience to God. Those who leave everything in God's hand will eventually see God's hand in everything. He who sits high looks low. There's no situation that he will lead us into that he cannot lead us out of. He's just that type of God. He said, I'll bring you word for, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. You see, everyone who is a real who will have to deal with their particular Grinch. And in this case, it happened to be Herod, but, but if you're going to be somebody, if you're going to be in the divine who's who book and your name's going to be written in that register, don't be surprised if you bump into some haters. And the only reason the haters hate you because they ain't you. And you got to understand that about life and a situation. Always remember, those that are trying to, to, to pull you down, they must already be beneath you. Just a little help. When he rose, he took the young child and his mother by night. And he probably did this within 24 hours. It seems that he moved quickly when you really look closely at the text. And he departed... For Egypt. Now, you know, Joseph may not have known this, but, but God knew. 
Uh, Egypt, you know, was, was a safe Roman-controlled area as well. It had a very large Jewish population. Over a million Jews were, were in the city of Alexandria. You know, God always has options. You might feel you don't have any options. God always has options. Here's what I learned. Whenever plan A fails, always remember that 25 other letters left in the alphabet. B, C, D, E. How many of y'all love David? Yeah, I, I, love David. I, I love David so much I named one of my sons David. I mean, I, I appreciate David. But did you know that David was God's plan B? God told the first king of Israel, Saul, if you would have obeyed me, your kingdom would have endured forever. Meaning the Messiah would have came through Saul. But Saul failed. And when Saul failed, God told Samuel to find a king that was after God's own heart. So the only reason we have David is because Saul failed. God's calculus is absolutely amazing. He takes absolutely everything into consideration. Instead of us talking about the sure mercies of David, we would be singing about and talking about the sure mercies of Saul. David was God's plan B. But because of plan B, I could say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Because of God's plan B, I can read many of the Psalms written uh, by the pen of, of David with, with his personality uh, spilling out on the pages. If God's plan B could still give us a David, Imagine what plan B in your life might be. You understand? God is still in control. And, with the, and, and they were there until the death of, of Herod, which means he was in Egypt. Some say until Jesus was about eight years old. Others say he was only there a, a, a few months. But what I want to, to, to point out today is amid all the twists and all the turns of this journey, and it doesn't seem like God's moving in a straight line, God is still in control fulfilling his prophetic plan. Watch what, what Matthew writes. He said, this happened that it might be fulfilled. This detour happened that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt I called my what? Son. What he's saying, what God did for the nation, he'll do for Jesus. I'm sorry, he'll do for his sons. And that's why when we, we look at the Bible narratives and we see, you know, the children of Israel coming out of, 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 of Egypt and, 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 and God opens the Red Sea and all that, the reason we still talk about them because we're sons and daughters of God. What he did for them, he will do for us. Just because we are on a road that might have some mountains high and some valley lows, Consider this narrative when you start debating whether or not you're in God's will. In Exodus 13, 7, the Bible says that God did not take the, the Israelites on a straight path, though it was shorter. Everybody that would have traveled out of Egypt would have taken certain roads to get out. But God decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to lead them a little bit north, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead them to the deepest part of the Red Sea. And then when they get to the Red Sea, I know the Egyptians are going to be following them. And you see, everybody else said, well, Lord, if you love me, if you're wise, you take me this easy route. But sometimes in his wisdom, 
He takes us past in past that only he can properly understand. The only reason the Red Sea parted is because God took a detour. Does anybody hear what I'm saying today? And there's some things you're disappointed about and saying, Lord, why is my life so circuitous? Why am I going this, this strange route? God said, you are exactly where I want you to be. I am in control. My purposes are still being accomplished. The children of Israel, when the sea was in front of them and the Israelites were behind them, God's like, you're right where I want you to be because this is where I can show my glory. Moses, lift up your rod. Watch me do what only I can do. I don't want you to say you left Egypt out of your own strength. I want everybody to know I did it. So I'm going to put you in a situation too hard for you to fix, a, a sea too deep for you to cross. I'm going to lead you a path that j- just will not make sense because I alone am God. And this is what he's doing with Joseph and Mary, Matthew 2 and 19. Now, when Herod was dead, I don't like this, but sometimes you have to wait things out. Some of the greatest victories in history didn't come by might, but by patience and endurance. Washington at Valley Forge, Gandhi, Dr. King, Mandela. None of these victories came by might. In one case, a man had to sit in jail. When it came to Washington, he had to watch his soldiers die, and, and they were so desperate they began to eat dogs, and, and they were ravaged by disease, but they held on and eventually won the war. Sometimes you have to wait things out. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And when God says, leave, leave. But we, we, we do that pretty good. But also when God says, come back, come back. <laughs> the power of your protection is hidden in your yes. The Lord said, arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Now, please hear me. This is important. If God does not miraculously defeat your enemies, it's only because he knows time soon will. You're mad at God because he didn't fix it. God said, just hang on. I don't even need to do a miracle. Just hang on. Time will tell. You hear what I'm saying? And in time, you'll win. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came back into the land of Israel again. He started at Nazareth, Nazareth, went down to Bethlehem. Then he went to Egypt. Now he's about to try to come back to Bethlehem. But just like Joseph and Mary, I believe there's some of us in this room that have had to take some detours. But I believe this Christmas, God is saying it's time for you to come back. 
But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah instead of his father Herod, again, he's, he's trying to, to get back to Bethlehem. But when he heard that, that Herod's boy was ruling, he, he knew the fruit didn't fall far from the tree. Archelaus was as crazy as his daddy. So Joseph was afraid to go there. Sometimes our plans do not work out because God has better plans. And being warned in a dream, I just want to state it again. He started in Nazareth. He ends up in Bethlehem. Then he runs to Egypt. Then he's trying to get back to Bethlehem, but then God warns him in a dream, and he said, turn, he said, turn aside here and go into the region of Galilee. In other words, stay north instead of heading south. God does not always operate according to our plan, but that does not mean he's not in control. Because watch, over and over again, when it seemed like circumstances were out of their control, the Bible keeps writing, and it was fulfilled, that which was spoken by the prophet, meaning God knew all along and God's plan was going fast, though it seems confusing to you and I, God sees and God knows. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.